Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Hey, everyone from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown, and I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, we conduct a post-mortem on Governor Gavin Newsom's trip to China, which came at a key time for U.S.-China relations and ahead of an Asian-Pacific summit right here in San Francisco later this month. That's right. Later in the show, we will be joined by former Governor Jerry Brown, who made his own China trip in 2017. And we'll get his take on Newsom's visit and what's next more broadly for the U.S. and China. But first, we're going to check in with a reporter who accompanied Newsom on the trip. Sophia Balig is politics reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. She joins us from Sacramento, where she's based. Sophia, welcome to The Breakdown. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so glad to get your uh, firsthand perspective on this. So big picture, I mean, you traveled with the governor on this huge international foray with you know for him. He stopped in Israel first. Can you talk a little bit just about like what the vibe was like? What was Newsom's mood? What was a typical day like with him? Yeah, so I I would say the mood really shifted over the course of the trip. So as you mentioned, he started out the trip. He had just come from Israel. Um, we interviewed him. The uh, reporters who were traveling with him on the trip interviewed him um, shortly after he um, flew into Hong Kong. And um, he really described a really um, heart-wrenching and really harrowing um, sort of experience in Israel, watching really graphic videos of a beheading and um, talking with families who had lost loved ones or didn't know, um, you know, whether their uh, family members were alive or dead. And so I think that he was, um, I would say, pretty anxious toward the beginning of the trip. That's at least the vibe I got from him. He was also, um, at that point, uh, he and his staff were trying to negotiate this meeting they wanted to set up with Chinese President Xi Jinping. And uh, that was not confirmed, as I understand Mm. it, until basically the last minute. Um, The reporters on the trip did not know it was happening until uh, like minutes beforehand. And we were told to rush uh, over to the Great Hall of the People to try to get in, which we ultimately were not allowed into the meeting. Yeah. But, tell, uh, tell us a little bit about that, because yeah. uh, the American reporters were not allowed in. Uh, Chinese reporters blocked. were. Yeah, yeah. Like, what was that scene like? Yeah, it was, um, you know, like so much on this trip. It happened really fast. It was a real whirlwind. We um, basically got calls you need to be down in the lobby right now. We were staying at a hotel in, in Beijing and um, we rushed down because we had, we had a pretty good idea that that was probably the meeting that mm. this was, you know, this was going to 
be the big meeting with the president. Um, and uh, we were told, you know, we don't know if we can get you in, but we think we might be able to. So you should just come and, and we'll try to get you to see at least part of the meeting. Um, and so uh, the four uh, California based reporters who were there traveling with the governor, um, we showed up in the hall, we got into like the very front of the hall, which it's a, um, it's right next to Tiananmen Square, it's right in the heart of Beijing. Um, it's huge. It's a an absolutely massive building. Um, it had this huge red carpet in the front hall and these it's, it's hard for me to even like describe the scale, the <laughs> huge like goldenrod yellow curtains hanging from the ceiling um, that it was like, it looked to me like it was at least like three stories tall. What was um, the tone of the, of, the, of the officials that kept you out of the meeting? Uh, they basically told us, oh, you're not allowed in. Um, you know, there are, uh, you know, basically they said that the governor's office had decided to bring in two photographers and they described those as like the media people who were allowed in from the American side. And we were saying, well, they're not actually reporters or media. They are working for the governor. Um, and that was, you know, we, we tried to argue a bit um, to try to get access. There were many, many um, cameras from um, the Chinese media who were allowed in um, like at, I would say at least a dozen. Um, and so we were trying to argue, you know, that there should be parity. Um, that was our understanding of what the agreement was with the governor's office. And ultimately there was just sort of no arguing um, with them. They weren't going to let us in. And so we were ultimately kicked out and we ended up, the four of us just like sitting on the steps of this very grand building, you know, typing on our laptops, um, trying to, you know, get what we could, um, you know, for a story. Um, mm. And we ended up talking with the governor afterward about you know the meeting so my understanding of what happened in this meeting is really based on what he Gavin said Newsom right said. i mean this is all based yeah. on his his accounting of things well and in general i mean it sounds like the governor really did position himself you know sort of offering an olive branch in some ways not pushing human rights abuses and things like that in his meeting with president she and, you know, there's been a lot of criticism back at home. There's a lot of bipartisan support nationally for confrontation with China. How do you, how did the governor kind of talk about the way he chose to position himself? Yeah, the phrase he kept using was uh, open hand, not closed fist. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, really described his approach as, you know, not opening with criticism, um, sort of opening with like shared interests on climate cooperation and that sort of thing and building bridges and easing tensions between the US and China. Um, and then sort of, you know, as the meetings progressed, bringing up um, the, the topics he did say he discussed in the meeting with Xi were um, climate policy, but then also fentanyl, mm. um, which I, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a human rights issue, but it is very much um, a foreign policy issue that and is pretty touchy one. Absolutely. And the just for some context for your, your listeners, um, China's sort of involvement in the fentanyl overdose crisis that we see here in, in the Bay Area and in California more broadly is that a lot of the precursor chemicals that are used to manufacture fentanyl are actually they actually come out of China. And so that is something that Newsom says he brought up with Xi um, and he and um, the U.S. ambassador to China, who was also in the meeting. Um, they both said that it was a productive 
meeting didn't necessarily get any assurances, but it was something pretty diplomatic term, right? Productive. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In earlier meetings that he had, so the the meeting um, with she happened on Wednesday, and earlier that day, Newsom had met with several high level. officials in the the Chinese government, including the vice president, the foreign minister. And he said he did bring up human rights related issues in those meetings, um, issues related to Tibet, Taiwan, um, the um, what the U.S. considers to be the wrongful imprisonment of um, an American citizen in in China. And so, you know, there were topics that were brought up. Um, I, I can't speak to how forcefully Newsom pushed for it, but Newsom really described it as like, those were sort of not necessarily the focus. The focus was more on areas where the two, uh, the, the state and the country could work together um, and, and sort of using sort of areas of shared interest as a platform yeah. for broaching these more sensitive yeah, topics. Yeah, and in, in fairness, that was what he said pretty much he was going to do going in. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, photographers going in, and there was a story that uh, came out uh, subsequently that uh, the governor has hired a professional photographer at uh, $5,000 for seven days a month. This is not just any photographer. It's one who's worked for presidents, uh, George W. and Obama, uh, which, of course, fuels all this speculation that he's kind of having a shadow presidency or running for president. What, what was your take on his demeanor and, you know, and and that whole idea that he's really just doing this to burnish his image with photographs and everything else? Yeah, I mean, the photographs that came out of the trip that the photographer you're, you're talking about, um, former uh, Newsweek photographer, um, really incredible photographs that he was taking. Um, I was a little jealous that he wasn't <laughs> following me around taking photographs of me because... <laughs> then, you know, the you would look amazing. Things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have looked a lot better than I did um, <laughs> in the photos that I do have. Um, most of my photos from the trip are of the governor. Um, but the few I w- took of myself are, you know, not that great. They're not the same caliber. And I, you know, I think that um, especially after the meeting with the Chinese president, Newsom really lightened up. And I think you really see that in a lot of the shots that have come out of the trip. Um, the, the one of him on the Great Wall, I think, one that's getting sort of the most attention that I've been seeing with the aviator um, glasses. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a shot that like I think, you know, almost looks like he's a tourist um, instead of you know someone who's on a, a working trip, right. a glam tourist. Yeah, totally, <laughs> exactly. And like you know, he definitely I can confirm did a lot of work on this trip. There were a lot of official meetings, um, but I do think that that has become sort of one of the dominating images out of the trip. And it's one where he's not doing something serious. It's one where he's, you know, checking out the Great Wall, which um, I was there too. It's really cool. I, you know, I, I don't blame him for doing some sightseeing. And he was there with the U.S. ambassador. So there was, you know, there was business happening. All right. But we got the glamour shot. (laughs) Well, San Francisco Chronicle report politics reporter Sophia Bollock, thank you so much for your time today and for, uh, yeah, catching us up on this trip. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by former Governor Jerry Brown. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, I'm 
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We are thrilled to welcome back to the show a man you all know well, former Governor Jerry Brown. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Great to be back at KQED. You, you are our first ever guest on Political Breakdown. Well, then this is a milestone. Exactly. So full circle here. Um we're here to talk about the current governor going to China, a trip you made yourself in 2017. I know that that Newsom has said he's talked to you several times about the importance of maintaining ties to China. What have you told him? Well, actually, we 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 communicate more through our staffs. I have mm-hmm. the California China Climate Institute at UC Berkeley, and that staff uh, has worked very closely uh, with uh, Gavin Newsom and his and his people on arranging and making sure that the right people were met in China, and uh, it, it all worked well. So, uh, you know, other than a few uh, what we, texts, you know, we're not on the phone every day. Okay, but uh, big picture, like, what was your impression of his trip? Good, the fact that somebody's making it. Uh, there are some human rights people who criticized him. Uh, I didn't agree with that. Uh, we got to deal uh, with climate change in a very... Uh, serious way. James Hansen, who first uh, reported climate change to the Congress, uh, he said today he came out with a new study that said it's much worse than uh, has been anticipated. Now, we're not exactly sure how valid that is, but the topic is real. Uh, There's no answer uh, to to dealing with the climate without China. Mm. And China and America have to work together. And China's got a coal problem, and America's got an oil and gas problem. So we got to figure out ways that we make the transfer, the transformation, and the transition. And it's really hard. It's very hard to do that. And so all these other things are important. Uh, but I think a governor of California, given California's mm-hmm. great record in climate, uh, certainly has uh, justification to go to China. And I think it's it's helpful, particularly when everyone's putting down China as kind of like the ultimate evil. Yeah, I mean, I want to get into that. But I mean, you kind of hit on this. He is a subnational. He is not our president, right? right? What is the argument? Make the case to California taxpayers who are kind of questioning, like, why should our governor be dabbling in international politics when we have a president uh, who has the job right now? Oh, because why should California be dealing in in um, reducing greenhouse gases because it only works if everybody else does it. If California went to zero, it wouldn't change anything. Uh, you have to have uh, many nations 
uh, many industries. In fact, ultimately all of them. So California has been a model uh, going back to even Reagan, not with climate, but with the environment. And then Schwarzenegger and myself and then uh, Gavin Newsom all going to China, all yeah. doing great. Uh, not doing great. They're, they're doing better than everybody else, uh, but not enough. So I, I think uh, California is going to suffer from uh, radical climate change. Our, our, we already are. Our beaches, our forest fires, the flooding, uh, the on and off weather that changes 20, 25 degrees in a day. Uh, this is not good for California. And California can't stop the onrush of destructive climate change except as part of a larger uh, group of leaders. And Gavin fits in that group. Based on your conversations with Chinese folks, with your institute and in other ways, do you think that they see climate change as the kind of existential threat that we do? Or or is it some okay. is it lower on the priority list? Well, first, got to say, who's we? Uh, <laughs> I don't think there are a lot of we's that see the profound danger of climate. And I'd put China in with that. Uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, they, they, they're sending their major climate uh, leader, uh, Minister Xia, and he's meeting with Kerry uh, down at uh, Sunnylands in Palm Springs where Obama and Xi met. So that's a positive. But I don't, uh, I certainly didn't get from the Chinese that they, they're, they're waking up in the morning and say, oh my God, the climate's changing. What's going to happen? Uh, malaria, flooding, fires. Uh, no, I, I, I think it's a very abstract issue. And it is for American politicians. No matter what they say, uh, the more exciting stuff uh, is the daily, the, the guns, the killings, the this, the unemployment, the inflation, uh, the war in the Middle East, war in Ukraine. All There's so much stuff that climate is happening slowly, you know, every hour, every day. And the end is, is not tomorrow. It's not in the next 10 years. It's just getting, wor wor uh, getting worse slowly. So I would have to say that most leaders underplay climate. And they do so for the political fact that they can't keep their voters excited by talking about climate when all this other stuff is driving people crazy. Looking back to your own trip in 2017, you know, this was a moment President Trump was in office. We He had just pulled us out of the Paris Accords. Um, I think at the time when somebody asked you if you had checked in with the White House, you kind of scoffed at the question. This trip was obviously coordinated and planned with the Biden administration's blessing. Uh, what difference does that make in terms of the ability for Newsom to actually affect change and, 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 and have these agreements? Is it... Is he in a more powerful position than you were, less powerful? Like, how do those well, dynamics play? I think having the federal government support what he's trying to do is good. Um, the Republican president, Bush and Biden, they were, brother uh, Bush and Trump, they were trying to take away California's waiver that uh, is the only thing that allows California to regulate uh, CO2 from, uh, from cars and, and factories. So it's crucial that the federal government not fight us. So that, that's a benefit. But I would say that our climate institute was very instrumental in, in shaping the meeting. Now, the federal government, uh, they're a little slower. I would say California is more nimble. Hmm. Uh, I think that uh, Gavin Newsom can focus on climate probably better than the president. But it's helpful that we have uh, a friend in the White House. Biden's done more on climate than anybody else with his big federal spending plan. But 
Nevertheless, there's a lot for California to do, and there's lots to be done. Getting off fossil fuel is not simple. And more and more, those who are at the low end of the economic uh, uh, scale here, uh, they say, wait, I'm not getting rid of my gas stove. I'm not buying your, your electric car. So what does that mean? And it's not just California. It's worldwide. The people are going to have to be supported subsidized by their government. And that's not a few hundred billion. That's trillions. And unless we spend that, we're not going to be able to get at climate change. And even in COP28, which is coming up, the big issue there is the uh, global south says, we can't afford this. You give us money. You promised $100 billion at the uh, Paris uh, conference, and we haven't seen uh, almost nothing, seen nothing, so a little bit, a couple of billion here and there. Well, you, so, you said a few minutes ago that China has a coal problem, and they do. They have a lot of, they're burning a lot of fossil fuels. At the same time, though, they have this really fast-growing electric vehicle industry. They're creating a lot of green energy. So is that just like an economic decision as opposed to an environmental decision? Well, I think that the, the reality of climate change is slowly emerging in, in, the, in, in public consciousness, including that of leaders. It, it's slow coming. It's slow coming for uh, people in Washington. It's slow for people in, in Beijing. So um, uh, what I think is important is that California is serious about climate in many ways. We have the Air Resources Board with the Public Utilities Commission, the Energy Commission that, that mandate on electric vehicles. All that's good. And because China is doing something very similar, it makes California not an outlier. If there was no China... California's uh, vehicle emission standards, including the mandate on electric cars, wouldn't hold. The auto companies would run us over. And they tried. They sued. I remember I was the attorney general. I had to fight uh, the big automobile companies who didn't want to control greenhouse gases from cars in the way that California wanted to and the way is important. So China is an ally in that. And yes, the solar collectors that, were, uh, that we've had up to these recent tariffs were, were cheaper. More than a, I, When I ran for governor, I never knew we could put in so many, so many uh, solar panels. Mm. But it happened because the Chinese drove the cost down. Now, maybe they subsidize it. They probably use methods that we don't like, but they got the job done. And the same thing with wind. And that's what we're going to have to do with battery storage. Yeah. And if we want to compete with the Chinese, we're going to have to throw more money at it. And already we're looking at almost a $2 trillion uh, federal deficit. So well, the and, squeeze, and the a, squeeze and a move, is on. And a move today by Republicans controlling the House to uh, take money away from IRS enforcement, <laughs> which is helping fund these climate pure, changes. Pure ideology. Pure ideology. <laughs> I want to remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos. Here with Scott Schaefer. Our guest today is former Governor Jerry Brown. Since you've left office, as you mentioned before, you have been active with the California-China Climate Institute at UC Berkeley. Talk about what you've accomplished, what kind of work you all are doing there. Well, the n number one thing we've accomplished, we've kept the, the door open. In fact, the, f uh, the fact that uh, Governor of California is welcome by the president of China uh, is, is not separated from the work of my institute and the work that I would say Schwarzenegger and myself have done to keep the door open to China in cooperation. Mm -hmm. the, the, the animus, uh, the hostility to China is very powerful. And Democrats and Republicans, they're, and I'm not saying cheese and angel. There's a lot of things you don't like. Repression, uh, uh, the way the Taiwan, the whole, the whole Hong Kong. Uh, Uyghurs, the Tibet, Hong Kong. But 
we got issues here. The climate can't be solved without China. Uh, the, the nuclear proliferation can't be solved without China. The, solving the next pandemic can't be solved. Uh, working on the, the dangers of AI. Uh, all of that requires a better relationship with China. And I know they do stuff that we don't like. We're going to have to find a way to... Uh, you know, jump rump and chew gum at the same time. What do you make of a pretty dramatic decline in the number of Chinese students uh, coming from there to study at Cal? And well, other... I think that's the policy. Federal government doesn't want Chinese students here. They're afraid of them. They think it's going to be the, you know, the Chinese ideas or communism or Marxism or uh, the Confucian Institute. They don't like all that. I'm not saying that China's perfect, but America's not perfect. Uh, we have our flaws. I won't get into what those are, but we <laughs> we have to. We got a serious problem here. We're on the brink of a new nuclear arms race. A congressional committee just recommended a, a, what is tantamount to a new arms race. Uh, we we have. Uh, the danger of bio threats, and the bio threats are being uh, exacerbated by artificial intelligence bringing the cost of entry to make bioweapons cheaper so terrorists could get hold of this. We need uh, the Chinese, and we also need the Russians. Unfortunately, we're at war with them. So uh, we, we got a dilemma here because we got all these conflicts, we feel righteous, but we got even bigger existential threats coming right around the corner. Right. I wonder, though, you you listed a long list that was not actually completely exhaustive of the differences in philosophy, politics, beliefs between, I, I think, the general American government and, and China, um, yourself specifically. What is the argument? Like, what do you say to people that say all that other stuff means that we should not be a partner to some of these countries? Like, what what is the argument for that diplomacy and being in the room? Are you convincing President Xi of something that he wouldn't have heard otherwise? Uh, wait, 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 well, what's just, the value what's of the going value? and talking yeah, to him? Yeah. Like, uh, well, first of all, we get we we you have to have more than one channel, and. Uh, if we're going to shut all our doors, uh, we're not going to let our companies invest in China. We're not going to let the uh, Chinese get into joint ventures, in men, not all, but in many fields. We're going to restrict uh, visas. We're going to investigate Chinese professors. That is a very bad road to go down because the world is facing mounting threats, and we got to work through them. Mm. And you can't get everybody to do what you want. I mean, not everybody wants a government that, uh, you know, that elects a Donald Trump or elects somebody that uh, says the Bible is more important than the Constitution, which the Johnson just said the other day. So we're not perfect. And we ought to be looking to avoid the big bad. Whatever the bads are in China, uh, if we have a nuclear war, if we have a new pandemic, and we have a financial breakdown like we did in 2008, we only got out of that because the Chinese spent a trillion dollars like we did. We spent a trillion. It was both together. Mm. And I think we still got to do that no matter what the uh, uh, issues that we want to raise and uh, object to. But after all, it's not our country. And I'm sure some of the things we do, they don't like. In just little, one or two. <laughs> <laughs> just one or two, yeah. Uh, in a little over a week, uh, San Francisco is going to be hosting this big APEC uh, international summit. Uh, President Xi is coming. Biden, they're all going to be here. They're meeting on the sidelines. They're meeting yeah. on the sidelines. And I'm wondering, do you, you know, like, to what extent do you think Biden, uh, uh, Newsom's trip there helped pave the way for like a little uh, thaw in the relation between the countries? Well, I think the fact that President Xi would meet with the governor of California indicates their open opening. Uh, they're, they're looking for more collaboration. There are many signs coming 
from China. Remember, it was just two years ago when the American and the Chinese, they met in Alaska. They didn't have a banquet. They didn't share a meal together. And they started off with a public denunciation. First America, uh, Blinken, and then the Chinese representative. They just yelled at each other. And then we went another year and a half. Then they had the little uh, balloon. Then we got another six months. And now, in the last few months, all of a sudden, gee, we got to talk to China. And China seems to say, hey, we better talk to you. Do you think it's probably because their economy is tanking a little bit? Well, you could say uh, their economy is in trouble. Uh, but also it might be that Biden and Xi are looking at the war in Ukraine and the war in uh, the Middle East and say, you know, we could be a war too. That doesn't look so good. And uh, too much turbulence threatens leaders. We like things to be calm. And when everything gets all excited, you say, well, I want to be a little more prudent. And I think that Biden perhaps is looking more to China because things don't look good in, in, in Europe, in Ukraine, and they certainly look pretty messy in in the Middle East. So do we really want to say, hey, we're going to go to war over Taiwan? Uh, I think think Biden is being more prudent now. And I think China, for whatever reasons are are, are scaring Xi, they all seem to be opening. And that's a very positive. (laughs) I don't know whether we can get there. Yeah, that's a more optimistic view of what's happening internationally than uh than, than I've heard. I do want to switch gears. Less than a minute left. Um, we have a big Senate race happening here in California this year. Obviously, Diane Feinstein passed away. I know you were at her memorial service a few weeks ago. Will you endorse in that race? I don't know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to give you a, a premature commitment when I haven't really thought about it. What are you looking for? What am I looking for? How do you know I'm looking? <laughs> You're always looking. I'm out there at the ranch. We just had a, a four-day olive harvest. We had 70 people there. I had five sitting judges up on ladders picking olives for Mountain House olive oil. All so. right. That is the endorsement. Mountain House olive oil. <laughs> Former Governor Jerry Brown, thank you for coming in. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers today are Christopher Beal and Seal Muller. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. We'll see you next week. It's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.